We are on Surah 38, Surah Saad, and Ayah number 12, inshallah. If you're following the Zaki Hamad translation, it's on page 762. Yeah. كذبت قبلهم قوم نوح وعاد وفرعون ذي الأوتاد وثمود وقوم لوط وأصحاب الأيكة أولئك الأحزاب The Prophet وسلم, is being reassured that a time will come when Allah will help him, assist him in his cause and then the people who mock him and scoff at him and deride him and persecute him, they will be made to eat the humble pie. So in light of that and in the same vein, the following ayat are revealed where a number of uh, nations and people who came before the Prophet are mentioned as being recipients of the divine wrath and punishment since they opposed the prophets of the time. Kaddabat qablahum qawmu Nuh Ayah number 12 Surah Saad Can you find it? Page 762 that before them, the people of Nuh, okay, they belied them. They refused to believe in Allah and his Rasul. And the people of Nuh were formidable people. They were spread across the majority of the globe. Nuh went to all of these uh, people. Uh, as he was given a long life where he needed to travel everywhere and discuss Allah, discuss the Akhirah with these people. So he was given, given a long life so that he could go and visit everybody. So his mission was global. So wherever human beings lived in his time, he went to everyone sometimes individuals, sometimes groups of people, sometimes villages, sometimes uh, towns, sometimes cities. So he traveled extensively throughout the world to communicate Allah's word to them. So Allah subhanahu wa says that the people of Nuh who lived across the world, they denied and they belied and they refused to believe in the order that is from Allah Almighty. And after the people of Nuh came Wa'adun. The people of Ad lived in Arabia, the northern part. And they were huge, gigantic people. And they were very wealthy. And they had tremendous uh, military power. 
and they had tremendous powers of engineering and uh, all of those skills that come with developing a successful civilization. And they were also destroyed because they did not believe in the power of Allah and they did not believe in the prophet of the time. So they were also, they also belied and as you'll see at the end, they were also destroyed. وَفِرْعَوْنُ ذُو الْأَوْتَادِ And Fir'aun also belied the Fir'aun who was of lofty structures or the Fir'aun who was one of nails. Autad refers to nails which may refer to the structures and the engineering capabilities of the people of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Right? So you can see the Quran acknowledges the building skills, engineering skills of the early Egyptians by referencing them to be people who understood how to use nails and other tools of building. Yeah. So this is Fir'aun. So Fir'aun, because he had the ability to build so many different types of uh, structures and so many different types of palaces and gardens and he was able to irrigate and he was able to manipulate the Nile and he was able to build arms and develop arms and all of that uh, he also belied Musa and what happened to him happened because he disbelieved in Musa and the people of the forest Aika refers to a forest, a thicket, where referring to the people of Shaib, up there in the point where uh, Arabia meets uh, Egypt in the Sinai Desert. In those days it was green and lush. Uh, there were forests there, there were thickets there. And people would come to the people of Shaib, Madian. Uh, for economic reasons because it was seen as strategically the best place for a market to, uh, to brew. Right? So they had immense economic prosperity because of its location and because of its climate and geography and so on. But they were people who, although had a tremendous economy, they exploited those who were not uh, privileged in life and uh, they would not give them their due share and they would not give them loans and they would not help people who needed help in developing, creating their businesses and they would exploit the needs of people and that is why they belied Shu'aib, Ashab al-Aika and because they belied Shu'aib where Shu'aib told them you can't use your money the way you want to. So they claim that we, this is our money. We can use money the way we want to. You can't tell us how to use our wealth and money. And Shuaib's claim was that it's not yours. Uh, Allah has given it to you as an amount, as a trust. If you exploit people because you have economic power, then that is zulm, that is injustice, that is a wrongdoing. And Allah doesn't like people who are unjust in any terms not just the idea of worshipping one Allah and one God, but the idea that you do not represent the oneness of Allah 
when you exploit the financial needs of people okay, because in order for you to be worshipping Allah you need to be somewhat divine like and the divine gives to people uh, without any appropriation without asking for anything back so they also destroyed oh. all of these were great armies yeah, they were great armies great alliances the people of of Nuh were huge in number merely because of the geography the people of Ad were huge because of their physical stature, stature and their might in irrigation and uh, agriculture and engineering the people of Firaun were mighty because of everything that Allah gave them and the people of uh, the Aika the thicket and the forest were mighty <coughs> because of the great economic power Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them in kullun illa kathab rusul each one of them were nothing except that they denied the messengers Allah's wrath comes when you deny the messenger not necessarily when you deny him Allah if you now treat a messenger of Allah with uh, disrespect and you treat a messenger of Allah with scorn and derision and you persecute the messenger and God forbid if you kill the messenger that's when Allah now comes in and says enough is enough you do not kill the ambassador right, in any civilization you never kill the ambassador you can say what you want about the country that he represents, but you can't touch the ambassador. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a similar rule that if you come and you do things against the ambassador, who is the messenger, the Rasul and the Nabi, then you ask him for trouble. Right? So now this is the human element. So dhulm there is not dhulm against Allah per se, it is dhulm against the best human being in the community so since the messenger is the best human being in the community that means you really don't want the community to succeed and it is because of that failure uh, in recognizing or not recognizing the need for human interaction that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then steps in to defend the messenger as a process of human history not necessarily a process of divine history. Right. You understand what I'm saying? That if God punishes because people don't worship him, then people will say what? Oh yeah, right. Meaning there's no equity there. There seems to be a lack of justice there. God is almighty. Why does he need people to worship him anyway? So that's one. The other is that this is a human being. He's on equal footing. He's on equal grounds with you. He is equal to you. He is your equal. And if you mistreat your equals, then that is injustice of the highest order. And when you are guilty of that level of injustice, then somebody must represent the messenger who has been abused and persecuted. And since the messenger himself will not take up arms, yeah. messengers are not allowed to take up arms against their people unless there is a direct order 
as you will see. If there is a direct order in the form of jihad, then the messenger is allowed to take arms. If there is no direct order, then the messenger has to remain patient and make dua. So these messengers that are mentioned, they were not allowed to take up arms. Nuh was not allowed to take up arms. Okay. Hud didn't have an army. Musa had a, you know, the tribe of the Banu Israel. They were downtrodden. They were persecuted. They were seen as the, what do you call it, untouchables and uh, all of that. So they were persecuted. And now also the people of Shuaib, uh, they didn't have, Shuaib didn't have an army. Shuaib was from the people of Madian and so on. So we see here that these tribes and these nations or people and civilizations, they took up arms against one human being. And that is that Allah comes to the defense of the oppressed. So if no one is there to help the oppressed, who helps? Allah, that is his rule, as the Prophet said, اِتَّقُوا دَعْوَةَ الْمَظْلُومَ That beware of the curse of someone who is oppressed, because when that person curses, there is no barrier between him and Allah, accepting his dua, his curse. So Allah comes to the rescue of the oppressed when there's no one there to rescue the oppressed. So these messengers were oppressed. Not that God was being oppressed or God was now being denied. In kullun illa rusul. So they hear the word kaddab rusul. They belied the messengers. When you do this to the level where divine intervention becomes necessary, then the punishment is now real. It becomes necessary for the divine to punish these people who persecute human beings because they are doing good work and so on. So this is the, the rule of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, destroys and punishes uh, people. It's also mentioned there. The people of Tamud were also very huge, and they also had tremendous economic power. And the people of Lut, uh, they were people who engaged in filth and vulgarity and homosexuality and so on. And because they belied the messenger, they were also punished, as you see. So these are the groups of people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to punish. Uh, they are seen as a parable for the Prophet meaning that in the Ummah of Muhammad he will encounter all such people. Right? Uh, so whatever illness or disease there was in the individual nations of other Prophets in this Ummah, the collective Ummah, uh, there will be the same types of diseases. They'll have the same symptoms and sometimes illnesses and sometimes diseases. So that, that is also a reflection for you and for all of us uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now unfortunately placed people in the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, who will now behave the way that other nations behave 
individually. So if there was injustice due to economic uh, power, then you have that in this ummah. And if there was injustice uh, based on engineering and also <coughs> other skill sets and academic skill sets, you have that in this ummah. If there are people who engaged in filth and vulgarity, you will have that in this ummah also. So now this ummah is now a cross-section of all the other previous nations that Allah subhanahu wa sent to the Prophet as a messenger for this ummah because everything is here in this ummah. All the illnesses of the previous people are found in this ummah collectively whether they are Muslim or non-Muslim. So the Prophet is a messenger now universally for all people at all times. So this is a, an indication that Allah will help the Prophet against such people also. Whoever they are and wherever they are, uh, there's going to be an implied divine curse if they belie the Prophet and the message. Uh, in principle. وَمَا يَنْظُرُ هَؤُلَاءِ إِلَّا صَيْحَةٌ وَاحِدَةٌ مَا لَهَا مِنْ And these people, they wait for nothing except a single now cry, a single blow, the blow in the trumpet of Israfil, alayhi salam, So when the trumpet blows, they will now cease to exist. They will not exist anymore. They will be totally, utterly destroyed and decimated. That is what they're waiting for. Allah subhanahu wa is saying this as a pun, uh, in a very sarcastic manner. Uh, that, that this, they're waiting for something. What they're waiting for? They're waiting for this eventual punishment of the Day of Judgment to come upon them, to occur upon them, referring to the people of this ummah. These people, these people refer not to the previous people who were already destroyed. These people refer to the people in the Ummah of Muhammad that are these people who are, are perpetrators of sin and evil and they are guilty of uh, belying the Prophet. They're waiting for this ultimate punishment which is a, a sense of relief for this Ummah that this Ummah will not be absolutely or totally destroyed until the Day of Judgment. So from this eye you can see that the Ummah of Muhammad will be spared and given respite until the Day of Judgment. So they have time to repent and to reflect and come to terms with Allah's rules and governance and Allah's might and power. And the beauty of Islam, that they must be willing to see the beauty that is Islam and in Islam. But if they fail to do that, then eventually they will all be totally destroyed through the one blowing, the blowing of the trumpet of Israfil alayhi uh, They will have no recovery from there and they will have no time in between to recover. Fawaq means the time in between two milkings. If you milk a cow or a camel, uh, for the time between the two milkings is called fawaq, meaning there's no time in between. The first blow of the trumpet 
and the second blow of the trumpet. The first blow will decimate you, eradicate you, annihilate you, and in between that, the second one will come almost immediately afterwards, although that is now subject to debate how much is that almost immediately. But there's no time in between. There's no recovery and there's no time in between. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now warning the people of the Quraysh first and foremost and warning the rest of the ummah whoever reads this ayah or these ayat uh, that you have time until the day of judgment but when the day of judgment comes that will be the ultimate punishment and uh, sort of afia Allah save us all uh, from that وَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا عَجِّلَّنَا قِطَّنَا قَبْلَ يَوْمِ الْحِسَابِ referring to statements they would use to deride and mock the Prophet yeah, he's always talking about Qiyamah and the Day of Judgment and the final punishment. So they would say, bring it on. That's what they would say. This is what this ayah is saying. وَقَالُوا they would say, or they say, O oh our Lord, عَجِّلَّنَا قِطَّنَا Bring forth and hasten for us our portion of uh, calamity and disaster. Qit means a portion. That bring forth our portion of disaster and calamity and failure right now. We're ready to receive any divine chastisement and punishment that you want to bring to us, but bring it now. Qabla yawm al-hisab, before the day of judgment. Obviously, these man's very imbecilic approach to life. You can you cannot cheat life and you can't cheat God. Mm. If you don't believe in God, then you must know you can't cheat life. If you know that God exists, then you must know you can't cheat God either. So this is how that they want to cheat Allah and cheat God and cheat life altogether and say that we're ready for the punishment now. Then obviously the Quran and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they say, be careful what you ask for. Right. Be careful what you ask for. And that's what happened. At the time of Badr, when the odds were totally against the Muslims surviving the day, where they had no arms, and they had this band of people who went to raid a caravan, now preparing themselves for a fight with a thousand people from the Quraysh who were laden with arms and dressed for the occasion. And they got their butts kicked, basically. The Quraysh, right? Seventy were slaughtered and seventy were imprisoned and they ran away. They just ran away from the battlefield. So be careful what you ask for. This is Allah's way of saying to people that don't ask for trouble. Yeah, we've given you time to think about how the world works and just because you know a few things about the micro uh, schema of life you don't understand the macro schema of life. The macro scheme of life is in the hands of Allah. And this micro scheme of life may be in your hands for a while. But that is always subject to the regulation of the divine. The divine does what he wants to, irrespective of what you think you can and cannot do. Mm. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring the Prophet وسلم, that Allah says, we know what they say. We know their plots, we know their schemes, we know their strategies, we know everything that they think of and conjure up, and we know what they want to do and what they think they can do. 
So you should be rest assured in our knowledge of their scheming that we will not allow their scheming to destroy you. That's the reassurance. Isbir ala ma So be patient with what they say. Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now giving an order to the Prophet to be patient. The Prophet by nature was already patient. He was always a patient man. He was unfortunately, or whatever you want to say, he was raised with patience. He didn't have a father, so that's the first sign of patience. Well, number two, number two, he lost his mother when he was six, six years old, and then uh, he was patient with his, uh, his grandfather also uh, died, and then he was raised by a person who didn't have too much money, Abu Talib, who had plenty of his own children, and then he had to bear the responsibility of raising Muhammad, so now his life was all about patience. Hmm. And he's underprivileged. Now when you're underprivileged, you have no other choice but to be patient. Hmm. Yeah, you don't turn into criminals because you are underprivileged. You have to bear the brunt of the human uh, situation, uh, which unfortunately doesn't work anymore in the world. People who are underprivileged nowadays, they resort to violence and to crime and uh, all sorts of things and crazy ideas that come into Because we are underprivileged, we should do this. The, the prophets aren't raised that way. They're raised very different. So by default, he was already patient. It was in his nature to be patient all the time. Then a command on top of that comes, Isbir. Be more patient. Um, shows you the uh, ethical, moral standards of the Prophet ﷺ. wants him to raise his level of resistance and make sure he's able to tolerate what they say. As I mentioned last week, when people insult you and people criticize you, you are hurt. Okay, so it's not a, a piece of cake, uh, it's not a breeze, and it's not a walk in the park that you say, okay, I don't care what people say about me. You do care, that's why you're saying that. Hmm. When people say, I don't care what people say, that means you do care. That's a sign that you do care and you're hurt by what people are saying. So the Prophet ﷺ was hurt by what people were saying about him. That he's a magician, and he's a sorcerer, he's a troublemaker, and he is a poet, and he's this, he's that. So he was always hurt. So now you have to bear the hurt and the insult and the pain and the agony. And the only way you can do that is if you're patient. So you need another level of patience on the patience you already have. So it's double patience. Right? That's how you get the idea of this ayah. Otherwise, you won't get the idea of the ayah because he was already patient. Isbir ala ma So be patient about what they say regarding you and your work and your message and your mission. Wadkur abdana Dawood al-Aid. And then mention our servant. In the quest for your patience, you must mention and describe our servant. Dawood, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, 
You must talk about Dawood when you are patient. The aid, yeah, the one who had powers, the person of power. Aid means power, strength, authority, and all of that. So Dawood was given power, strength, and authority. What's the relationship in mentioning Dawood, a person of power, in terms of patience? You know, understand the question. Allah says, be patient. And then mention Dawood. Why mention Dawood? Dawood had power. So what's the connection? What's the relationship between Dawood having power and the Prophet being patient? If you work that out, then you understand how tafsir works. Right. You understand? You can't do tafsir if you don't know some of the rules underpinning how you formulate a sentence in translation. But anyway, that's why you're here, mashallah. So, our servant, Dawood, you must mention, first mention that he's our servant. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servants, they do what they are told. That's why they're in the service of Allah. So, Dawood was given Dawood was given what? Uh, power uh, as a tools of serving Allah. So those tools Allah gave Dawood so that he can use those tools to serve Allah's hukum and intent. We have given you patience as a tool to serve. We gave Dawood a tool which was material we're giving you a tool which is moral and ethical. And that's the relationship. You understand? This is a tool and this is a tool. So the ethical moral tools by which you win over people is just as good as, if not better than, the tools of power with which you subjugate people. That. There's soft power and there's hard power. So there's military strength, there's hard power. You can kill everybody and destroy everybody and bomb every country in the world. And there's soft power. Soft power is the charisma and the magnanimous and the magnetic personality of the Prophet. That's your power. And this is Dawood's power. And there's a difference between the two. Even though Dawood's power is a gift that Allah gave to him to serve him. Huh? Yeah. And that is what is mentioned in the next sentence. Innahu awwab. Indeed, he was always coming back to Allah. Someone who comes back frequently to Allah in the form of ibadah shows that he is in service of Allah. Uh, people who are given gifts from the divine, they worship him in private. People who are not given gifts from the divine, they don't worship him in private. So a sign that your gifts are from Allah is that you will worship him in privacy with ikhlas, sincerity. If you're giving wealth and money and prestige and honor and abilities on one side, and you say, I, I got a gift from Allah. Then you have to worship him. 
as Dawood did. Dawood was so engaged in the worship of Allah that the Prophet said, I love the way Dawood worshipped Allah and you must follow his code because he will sleep half the night and then he, in the other half of the night he will worship Allah. <coughs> number one, number two, he said, I love, if you want to fast, then you must fast the fasting of Dawood where he would fast one day and not fast the next day. So this shows that Dawood was a wab, constantly, frequently coming back to Allah. The source of his strength is Allah. So the ibadah, the spiritual component of Islam, right, makes the material benefits and gifts go much further. So that's why you can't secularize Islam. Okay. You need the spiritual component to make it Islamic. Yeah. So Dawood had military authority and power, as you'll see. Yeah. He had tremendous power. So much power, we can't even imagine the power he had today, nowadays, as we will explain, inshallah. But despite having that military strength and power, he relied only on Allah. He didn't say, I have to gain this because it gives me strength and power and I have domination and I can do this and that with my power. He said, no, I need Allah to make it work. Innahu awwab frequently, constantly coming back to Allah, the source of his strength, that he would worship him at night and he would fast in the day. Now, if he's a king, why is he fasting? If you're ruling people and you have every ni'mah under the sun that you can enjoy and you're privileged to do whatever you want to do in the day with the fruits and food and servants and whatever, super luxurious life. He says, I'm going to fast one day. And I'm not going to fast the next day. Then I'll fast the day after. And then I won't fast. The, the psalm of Dawud, the fasting of Dawud now became proverbial in Medina. That this person is fasting the fasting of Dawud. And that's what the Sahaba was to mimic and copy. That in order for you to gain domination over people, you need Allah's support. And Allah's support won't come if you are not spiritually inclined to worship Him. So those people who say, the Ummah needs power. We say, Allah, the Ummah needs ibadah. We say, the Ummah needs what? Ibadah. Try knocking on Allah's doors before you knock on the doors of the White House. The difference is Allah might just listen to you. They'll never listen to you. Right? Don't secularize Islam. This is the way that all prophets were, that whatever gift they had, they saw it as part of their service towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the relationship between what Allah has given Muhammad wasallam. So Allah is saying to the Prophet wasallam that we've given you the power of patience, which is a huge tool. And it's just as good as the power we gave Dawud Islam, who had tremendous military strength, and also he had tremendous spiritual strength as a ni'mah from Allah. <inaudible> Indeed, we subjugated the mountains, ma'ahu with him. 
this is the power. This is what? This is the power you cannot generate today. No nuclear energy will give you this ability. That the mountains will make the sabih with you. Yusabihana. In the evening and in the morning, that Dawud was frequently singing the hymns and praise of Allah because of the gift of the voice he had. Dawud's voice was so attractive, magnetic, that the mountains would be his chorus. We're not talking about the echoes. Don't get confused. If you go into the valley and you shout something, it's going to echo. We're not talking about that. It is very different. Otherwise, there's no need to mention it. Everybody has that. You go to any mountain, and you start shouting or singing, whatever. <laughs> uh, then you'll see that the sound waves will bounce back and you'll hear your own sound. That's not the mu'ajiza. That's not the miracle. This miracle is that the mountains willingly in uh, joined in in chorus with the songs and praise of praise and the hymns of Dawud and Islam, uh, they would make tasbih. So Dawud and Islam would start a tasbih, the mountains would join in. That shows that the mountains have a certain level of understanding, which is mentioned in other parts of the Quran also. Now, this ability. Of now being able to, if you want to say it in better words, or not better words, different words, uh, manipulate uh, the ability of a mountain. You can use dynamite to just, uh, you know, destroy the mountain. That's manipulation. Right. But using your sound and your vocal cords to bring about a tasbih from the mountains, uh, that is mind boggling. That's unheard of. And you can't replicate this. You can't do this because you're not a Nabi. So Allah gave Dawud al-Islam so much strength and power through his voice. Now his voice itself, as I said, was so melodious and so sweet and so magnetic that not only did the mountains join in in chorus, the birds also. Yeah. Along with the birds that were there in order, mahshura, mm. that they were there in assembly together, not only assembly in conference, also assembly in the chorus, assembly in the tune and the sound and the song. Birds sing, as you know. Uh, if you can copy the singing of the birds, you probably write a symphony, <laughs> as someone did. One of these classical musicians wrote a whole symphony based on how he saw the birds or how he heard the birds. But that's copying. Here, Dawud is not copying. The birds are copying him. The birds are copying him in, in praise of Allah. And that is now very, very dynamic, uh, very influential. That they're joining in, in the ibadah of Dawud. So Dawood was so engaged and in sync with Allah's ibadah that the creation around him would join him in his ibadah of Allah. That power is not military power. 
something else that we cannot see or envision nowadays. So now you have everything basically at your fingertips and you are controlling. So we ha you have dominion and authority in the land and you have power over mountains, you have power over the birds and you have this tremendous physical strength uh, which is called the ability to mold iron as we read early on in Surah Al-Sabah that we softened iron for him, Allah says لَهُ hadid." We softened iron for him so with his own hands he would be able to do whatever he wanted with iron so that is how now iron started to be used and steel uh, products came into uh, the war machine and so on. So along with the ability to, to, to make arms, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Dawud al-Salam so many other forms of power and subjugation. وَشَدَدْنَا مُلْكَهُ We strengthened his power and his kingdom and his dominion in so many different ways that this was how Dawud al-Salam was seen as someone who was so formidable, Allah subhanahu is asking the Prophet sallam, to mention his servant Dawood for this reason that Dawood al-Islam was someone that uh, controlled and dominated people, controlled and dominated the mountains, controlled and dominated the birds, and controlled and dominated iron and everything else that he needed in order to fortify and strengthen his kingdom this is seen as a ni'mah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this to the Prophet sallam, that in future your ummah will do the same. Yeah. It's a promise to the Prophet. And we gave him knowledge of the highest order, <coughs> which is hikmah. Here is it wisdom, yeah, prophetic wisdom, or just wisdom or knowledge of the highest order yeah, which translates into wisdom or the wisdom it's kind of generic word it doesn't convey the meaning of the word hikmah as it is used here in the context of these ayah hikmah means something that is so powerful that you will use it to dominate people in argumentation right? yeah. that's what this means that the ability to be prudent in speech and the ability to dominate people in terms of argumentation when you're addressing people and there's a dispute and there are two sides to the story but you see your judgment as being the best judgment because you have this ability to overwhelm the opponent in discussing and arguing the case so now he had the ability uh, to do this. So Allah gave him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the tremendous domination in speech also. So now what is there missing in Dawud al-Islam's repertoire and his portfolio? Nothing. He was the total absolute ruler, the complete ruler. So Allah subhanahu says that since you are a ruler, you have military strength. Since you are a ruler, you have spiritual strength. Since you are a ruler, the mountains and birds are subjugated to you. Since you are a ruler, you have the ability to enforce the law and convince people that this is the only law. Right. 
the highest level of uh, power in this country resides in the Supreme Court. So they have to make a case yeah, that this is the right decision. Dawud al-Islam was given this ability to convince people his decision was the only one. And he did that in court. He didn't do that through military strength. He was a dictator. That this is there. So there's a procedure there. There's a legal procedure that if you're a ruler, you have to listen to people's claims and cases in court, not through the sword or through military power and so on. So this refers to the ability of Islam to govern and to administrate also. That this was a process that he developed and if people came to him, he would rule and judge according to the hikmah Allah gave. That is the meaning of hikmah in this context. Supreme knowledge, a knowledge that allows you to overcome your opponent in debate. And prophets were given this ability that they were able to overcome their opponents in debate. All of them had. But Dawud al-Islam had this exceptional ability that in matters of material cases, because the cases that came to him were not the case of ibadat, they were the case of muamlat, the case of people's uh, you know, lives, livelihood. I have this piece of land and he owes me this, this money and I have this goat and this camel and he owes me this much money. So these were now financial issues and issues of claims and issues of disputations and issues of inheritance and marriage and divorce and all of that. So Dawud al-Islam being the complete absolute judge was given this hikmah, this supreme knowledge by which he would rule in court as he would rule in his kingdom. So now, if you have this ability in one person, he's the absolute ruler. You can't imagine our president being uh, ruling in court. Huh? Right. He doesn't rule wherever he's supposed to rule. But imagine him ruling in court. Dawud was able to rule people through military strength and power and domination and he was able to rule in court which is academic. Yeah, that's academic. That's your intellectual ability. And prophets are endowed with both. They have the ability to rule with power, authority, and they have the ability to rule with knowledge which is intellectual and academic. This is the nirma. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Dawud al-Islam. This is what Prophet is asked to now bring out into the open that we're going to discuss the case of Dawud, which is what the next few ayats will bring out. The reason why this is a prelude or muqaddimah, introduction to Dawud al-Islam, is because of the story that comes afterwards. All of this is, is just, uh, you know, the, these are the props on the stage the background, the backdrop, to show you this is what we are referring to when it comes to Dawud al-Islam, that we, we asked him to do something. And he used everything we gave him in service for whatever Allah wanted. That story we'll do, inshallah. Next week. There's a tafsir next week. Your Eid technically finishes on Friday. Technically. Hopefully not Thursday. That will be against the hikmah. <laughs> Allah. 
see you guys next week inshallah subhanallah alhamdulillah subhanallah alhamdulillah nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi